Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome. It's so good to be together. So good to be together on a beautiful day that I think is going to end up being pretty warm, but most importantly, to be together uh, in the presence of the Lord. My name is Paul Buckley. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're new here, we're so glad that you're with us this morning. Please let us know how we can help you wherever you might be. Um, we uh, think this is a great place wherever you are in your journey, whether you're maybe investigating Christianity or rebooting or looking for a church home, and we just want to help you uh, in that process. So uh, we're pretty um, down to earth, like a big family here, so feel free to ask us anything that, that you're interested in. We're wondering about, and we pray God's blessing on you as you are here with us. We gather not just as people that maybe have some common interests, but people ultimately who are joined together uh, through Christ as part of God's family. And we worship Him, we enjoy Him on our Sunday worship times, and we come before His Word. And we are in a series in Ecclesiastes. Actually, today is the last day in our series in Ecclesiastes. Um, it's been good to go through this book and learn. After this series, actually we're going to be doing a summer series starting next weekend um, on worshiping God together. And we're going to just look at what we're doing, why we do it, and how we do it from the Word of God and looking at different things. So I'm uh, very excited for that series as well. But today we're in the end of the book, uh, Ecclesiastes 11, 7 through 12, 14. If you don't have a Bible, let us know. We'd love to get one in your hands. And I actually think we still have some of the journals left over too. So here's your last chance to grab one of those at the back there if you don't have one already. We uh, provide uh, complimentary to our, our folks uh, when we can a, a journal for you to write in and take notes in and so forth, and Lord willing to keep for the rest of your life. So today's message is called Wisdom for a Lifetime, and you're probably looking up at that photo wondering who or what that is or why I would put that there. That is a picture, a picture of a woman named Gloria Stewart. She was a Hollywood actress who started her career at the age of 22 in the 1930s, and that is a picture of her around that age on the left, and finished her career uh, at the age of 94 uh, around the year 2000 or so. Um, and it's a picture of her early in life, at the prime of life, we would say, and then at the end of her life. And it confronts us with the reality that uh, beauty and, and being in shape and all that lasts only a little while. Uh, and for all of us, I guess we could have a picture like this at some point from our early years and then our latter years and see the reality that we age. And that's what our passage is about today. Uh, it's, it's about this reality of aging, this reality of going through life and the wisdom of God. What does it look like to practice wisdom throughout a lifetime and ultimately for eternity? Um, we all live very short lives. And though when we're younger, we tend to think that we're going to live forever, we don't. Time passes, and we need the wisdom of God. And this wonderful book that God has given us helps us to live in this world uh, with, in light of that reality, to live wisely, both as when we're young, both when we're old, and of course, for eternity. So let's pray and ask God to bless the reading and proclamation of his word that we might gain his wisdom. So Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word that you equip us in every essential way through your word. 
And Lord, you are alive. You're a God who's active and your word is living and active. And, and Lord, you want to bring this home to us, not just in our understanding your word, but being changed and transformed by your words. And so we ask you, Lord, as we're before your word, I pray that you would speak to us, all of us. We would hear from you. We would understand the truth of your word. We would understand how to apply it to our lives um, according to your activity, Holy Spirit. And Lord, we would gain your wisdom and live wisely. We thank you, Lord, that you have all these things and more in mind today. So we look for your activity and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Let's take a look at Ecclesiastes chapter 11, starting in verse 7 to the end of the book. The preacher says, Light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth. Before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few. And those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and, and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are Afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, be aware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. God's word from Ecclesiastes 11 and 12. This final section in Ecclesiastes reminds us once again that we live in a fallen world full of uncertainties or vanities as it's translated in the ESV. It's full of uncertainties, but it's also full of certain wisdom, of course. Even as the preacher says, vanity of vanities, all is uncertain. He is asserting something that is certain. There are certain things, there is wisdom in this world of uncertainty. We may live among the vapors, but we are called to stand on something solid. And in this section, Ecclesiastes 
calls us to wisely live in this fallen creation as we fear God and await the final judgment throughout our whole lives. We are to live in this sort of wisdom. So I just want to take us through the passage. I think you'll see it, it divides up into three sections. A section on youth, a section on old age, and a section on eternity or the final judgment. So let's dig in. Verse 7 starts out that saying that light is sweet and it's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. It's enjoyable to enjoy good days like today. And that continues. If a person lives many years, let him rejoice in all these days. Let him re remember also though that the days of darkness will be many. There will be a day when it won't be as easy to enjoy the sun. Ecclesiastes again and again causes us to, to face these realities that we live in a fallen world and, and things don't always work out as we hope. Though the world has been created good, it's fallen. It's been subject to a curse because of our broken relationship with God. And so we live in a world that is mixed with good things and things that are hard, things that are uncertain, things that are unstable. We live in this tension and Ecclesiastes is so helpful for us, forcing us to face these realities. And, and so the author here, the preacher, likely King Solomon, is, is bringing this reality to our sight to, to recognize, yes, there, that life involves things like enjoying beautiful days. He says that the young person should rejoice in his youth and let, let his heart cheer him to follow his heart and enjoy the things he sees. That in youth, as you're able, one of the blessings from God by design in His creation is enjoying His creation. It's looking at things and, and in having your heart drawn to part of His creation and enjoying it properly. There's this aspect we've seen again and again through the book of Ecclesiastes of, of God calling our attention through the preacher to the reality of his blessings that are all around us, even in an uncertain world. And we're reminded to enjoy these blessings. And, and I think this is so helpful for us because there's a tendency, uh, and I think it, it's often motivated by the right things. We want to make the most of our lives. We want to we leave a legacy. We want to work hard. We want to build our business so forth and so on. But sometimes we can be blinded to the two realities. One is that we can't guarantee the results in that. And secondly, God is good to us and his goodness is all around us. And we're supposed to take time to stop and smell the roses, to enjoy his blessings. This is a theme in Ecclesiastes over and over again. And in our section today, it's saying when you're young, take advantage of that season where you can go out and, and engage and enjoy things. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. Do this. And, and I, I love to see young people taking advantage of things. Not that when you hit the age of 30, all of a sudden you can't take advantage of anything. But there are opportunities when you're younger. You're, you have the ability. I think of my son, John, who just finished uh, the 4,000 footers in New Hampshire. The 48 mountains, 4,000 feet or high, higher. And over the past what, year or two, he and friends in church and other friends that he grew up with have hiked like every week. And they, they accomplish that. That's something on a bucket list for him to get it done before he's 30. He's wonderful. And it's those sort of things I think are wonderful applications of the truth here. To enjoy these blessings. To follow your heart in that sense. Now there are, there's a qualifier here, right? Uh, it's important to understand that there's a qualifier in this. The, the preacher says, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. 
and we've said this before, it's important to understand judgment in the, in the Bible is really, the, is the, really the, what a king does. A king brings judgment. Judgment, uh, we often see it as a negative thing, that judgment means I'm in trouble for the bad things I've done. And yes, that's part of it, because when a king reigns over his kingdom, he wants to, to deal with evil and root it out of his kingdom, but also he wants to strengthen and support what's good. So biblical judgment is just the, the exercise of kingly authority to reward the good and bless what's been done in the right way and to punish and deal with what's evil. And so when the author of Ecclesiastes, when the preacher says this, he isn't meaning, you, you know, better watch out because you're going to get in trouble. He means that God actually will seize all that you do and he delights in the right things and he will bring judgment in that way. He will reward and reinforce what you did in the right way, but also, yes, of course he will bring judgment. So there's a qualifier here, and it, it runs throughout the passage, throughout the whole book, that it's to be done in the fear of the Lord. And so what that speaks to us is that there's a right way to enjoy creation. And if we're going to do the 48, 4,000 footers, we are to do them in light of this, in light of God's creation. This is glorious. These mountains are beautiful. It's to be worshipped. And so we do it that way, not, not in and of itself, that while this, somehow this mountain is glorious in and of itself. No, God is glorious, and he's made these things, and we're to enjoy them. And, and maybe you're not able to hike 4,000-foot mountains. I am no longer able to do that. But there's so many other good things, especially, uh, I know I'm biased. I have been, or to see, I've seen a good part of the world. I think New England is the most beautiful place to be in the summer and the fall. And there are lots of things to enjoy. And it's part of worship to enjoy them. Warm, green summers. Relatively good weather. Um, you know, they talk about the heat wave that's coming. Um, our heat waves only last usually a few days. It's really nice. If you live in other parts of the country, which we have, it, it can last all summer. So just enjoying the good weather, going to the beach, the mountains. Uh, we have a historic world-class city thousands of quaint towns, we have the fall, all these things, the, the fall foliage, all this beauty is part of what the preacher is talking about. And we should take note here and be obedient to Ecclesiastes and appropriately enjoy these good things. Because God made these things, his creation is good. And in some ways, it's, it's, you are doing something now that you're going to do for eternity if, if you have placed your faith in Jesus. You have an eternal life in the new creation ahead of you. And you will do this every day without hindrance. You won't grow old. You'll always be youthful. You'll always be enjoying his creation. So in some ways, it's worship now in this creation, even though it's fallen, to go and enjoy these things. To not only work hard, but to rest and recreate hard is a godly thing. That's what he's getting at. And particularly when you're young. And I think one of the best ways that you can love your friends and neighbors as a follower of Christ, as a believer in God, is to invite them into your worship. Invite them into your enjoyment of the good things of God's creation. Let them see what it looks like to, to know God and to live and enjoy these things. That's what the preacher is getting at here in this first, first section, particularly when you're young, to do these things. But to remember... Your creator in the days of your youth. Our next section. Knowing that there'll be a day that you won't be able to do it like you used to. We do live in a fallen world and that means that we get old. We age. 
You are going to get older. You're going to age. You're not going to be able to climb the 4,000 foot mountains anymore. You're not going to be able to do the same things that you once did. There is this reality, the fallenness of, of creation, the fallenness of our own bodies is a reality. The, the, I, I've hit this before, covered this before, but the reality, guys, is you are not fully mature in your body until you're about 25. And then you start to age at 30. So you have five years of real prime, just by the way. That's the reality, all right? 25 to 30. And for those of us who have been through it, we know that, right? That's, you have about five years, full grown, and then you start aging. That's how it goes. And, and so our bodies decline. Professional athletes, you see it there, right? They can't last that long. Um, Tom Brady is an exception. We won't go there. Um, at least for now. He thinks he is, at least. Uh, but they don't last that long. And our bodies don't last that long. And so this passage, this section that we're getting into now, chapter uh, 12, verse 1 and following, is about aging. And the preacher actually goes in and uses a lot of metaphors. I'm sure as I read that, you're like, what? What is he talking about? <laughs> What's going on? Well, he uses these metaphors to describe aging. First, he uses the metaphor of a house, uh, a busy house, maybe in a, think of a house in a, a busy village that's very active. And that's a metaphor for the human body. And so we're going to go through that. I'll show that. And then he uses the metaphor of, um, of a lamp. And the, the silver cord and the golden bowl were part of it. And basically, that lamp goes out. And he uses the metaphor of a well. And you, can never get, you no longer are able to get water from the well. You go dry. That's, these are all metaphors for aging. Actually, the New Living Translation is a, a pretty good translation. Um, it's probably the language is a little closer to our normal English. ESV is my favorite translation, but there are lots of great translations out there. But the New Living Translation um, has this section in a way I think that might be helpful. So I just want to read through that. So listen to how the New Living Translation uh, translates this section. It says, Remember him before the light of the sun... Moon and stars is dim to your old eyes, and rain clouds continually darken your sky. Remember him before your legs, the guards of your house start to tremble, and before your shoulders, the strong men stoop. Remember him before your teeth, your few remaining servants stop grinding, and before your eyes, the women looking through the windows see dimly. Remember him before the door to life's opportunities is closed, and the sound of work fades. Now you rise at the first chirping of the birds, but then all their sounds will grow faint. Remember him before you become fearful of falling and worry about danger in the streets. Before your hair turns white like an almond tree in bloom and you drag along without energy like a dying grasshopper and the caperberry no longer inspires sexual desire. Remember him before you, before you near the grave, your everlasting home, when the mourners will weep at your funeral. Yes, remember your creator now while you were young, before the silver cord of life snaps and the golden bowl is broken. Don't wait until the water jar is smashed at the spring, and the pulley is broken at the well. For then the dust will return to the earth, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. It's an outline of the aging process, using metaphors. So, this may be painful for us, but let's go through it. Your eyes go dim as you age. That's part of what he talks about here. Whether it's cataracts or presbytopia, which is the aging of the, the eyes where you can't see stuff close. If you're like me, I'm naturally nearsighted. Presbytopia kicks in and now I can't see far or near. 
And so I, I, you guys probably see me with different configurations of glasses and contacts. I'm just trying to figure out what works. I tried, I have these transition glasses, uh, so they're for close up and far away, but I don't know, I could never get them because you have to kind of keep on tipping your head. Oh, there is everybody. Okay, now I gotta find the page here. And uh, so I go with these, these allow me to see you, and then I can, if I stand back, I can see here. I have my other option, which is one contact in, one contact out. Um, that works pretty good, because I can see it through this eye, and I can see my paper through here, but then there's this dead zone where it's blurry for both eyes, it's about two feet away. So, just the reality of aging. Verse 3, chapter 12, speaks of our legs and shoulders going out, right? Mine are already gone. I have a partial knee replacement, two bad shoulders. We're all in different places here as we age. This is what happens. Teeth are mentioned next. Now, thank God today we have dental care that's a little better, that helps us, but the reality is your teeth wear out. Um, they chip, they fall out, and you might lose your whole mouthful. That's what this is talking about. Verse 4 speaks of losing our hearing. You hear, hear the birds when you're young. You don't hear much at all, as you get older, your hearing goes for many of us. Um, it reminds me of a joke. A man's talking to his family doctor. The doctor, he says to the doctor, Doctor, I think my wife's going deaf. The doctor says, well, here's something you can try to, t uh, to test her hearing. Stand some distance from her and ask her a question. If she doesn't hear you, walk closer. And then ask again. And then just keep on getting closer and closer until she hears you. And so he says, that's great, I'll try that. He goes goes home and he comes in the door and he says, honey, what's for dinner? No answer. Steps a little closer. Honey, what's for dinner? No answer. Steps a little closer. Again, honey, what's for dinner? No answer. Pretty soon he's a foot away from her and he says, honey, what's for dinner? She turns around and says, for the 11th time, meatloaf. <laughs> it happens as we get older. Um, other things here, uh, fear of falling, right? Harder to deal with stairs, and you know, we think, Peg and I think about, can we stay in our multi-level house? I remember my grandmother having to, getting calls in the middle of the night, having to go over with my dad to help her get off the floor. There's just these realities, we get old. There's the fear of dealing with uh, situations that require street smarts. It, it, he talks about that. The, um, dealing with unscrupulous vendors is a, is a chronic problem for the elderly, right? Where, where people are not honest. You don't have that, that acumen anymore maybe to deal with that. Uh, it speaks of the almond tree in blossom. It means your hair turns gray. Your hair turns gray and it falls out and it grows in places you don't want it to grow. Um, I, I have to sh shave my face and I have to shave my ears now. And I actually have to shave the top of my nose as well. And I think this is Coach McAleer's revenge. Because when I was in high school, Coach McAleer had hair growing off the top of his nose. Somehow, because of presbytopia, he didn't see it. And uh, we would laugh. And now I have Coach McAleer's revenge. I have to take care of the hair growing off the top of my nose. This is what happens with aging. He speaks about the loss of uh, libido. The reality of, uh, of losing a proper hormonal balance, right? That happens as we age for, for women and men. He shifts the metaphor to speak of the loss of a lamp's ability and the loss of uh, the ability to get water from the well. The lights go out. The body runs dry of life. We become dust and our spirit returns to God. This is the reality. This is the harsh reality, right? We don't like to face this. We like to think that we're going to stay youth youthful somehow. 
And again, Ecclesiastes is pointing us to the uncertainty, the unreliability of this life. It passes so fast. And you get those five years of prime and then that's it. So what should we do? What does wisdom look like here? What's the wisdom that that the preacher is trying to point us to? Well, we see it throughout this passage. Of course, it's remembering God. Remembering Him in our youth and practicing and learning to live life when we're young and when we're able with God at the center where we enjoy His creation. We depend on Him. And we can certainly treasure all these memories as we get older. We might not be able to do the same things. But even as we're older, we're recognizing this is, a, this is how life goes. I'm not surprised. Again and again, Ecclesiastes addresses us when we are surprised saying, what did you expect? It's an uncertain life. It's a fallen world. And so we can live our lives wisely in light of this. It's, it's actually, uh, for all of us, you know, no one here, at least right now, is at the end of their life. We're all alive. And so this is calling us to exercise wisdom in how we live. Making the most of our lives. Enjoying creation. Living in light of the Lord. Depending on God. Walking in His we're going to see later his commandments, his good ways, his righteous ways, fearing him, depending on him. And so we can build a whole lifetime of this. And Ecclesiastes, I think, is a corrective for us. Should we think that life is about somehow accomplishing our goals? Getting that thing, that dream done. Now, nothing wrong with dreaming godly goals, but we can't control things. And so we're to live our lives with our eyes on the Lord, enjoying what he gives us along the way. I think about, uh, among many applications, the application of putting work in the right place. Work has its place, for sure, but not letting work and, and the desire to achieve our goals or make our business successful what is most important. I think of the song by Harry Chapman, The Cats in the Cradle, from 1974. Some of us might remember that. Let me share the words with you. This is a reminder of the truth of Ecclesiastes. Harry Chapman says, My child arrived just the other day. He came to the world in the usual way, but there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away. And he was talking before I knew it, and as he grew, he said, I'm going to be like you, Dad. You know I'm going to be like you. And then he says, My son turned 10 just the other day. He said, Thanks for the ball, Dad. Come on, let's play. Can you teach me to throw? I said, Not today. I got a lot to do. He said, That's okay. And he walked he walked away, but his smile never dimmed, and he said, I'm going to be like him. Yeah, you know I'm going to be like him. Well, he came from college just the other day, so much like a man, I just had to say, son, I'm proud of you. Can you sit for a while? He shook his head, and then he said with a smile, well, I'd really like dad is to borrow the car keys. See you later. Can I have them, please? And then the final verse I've long since retired. My son's moved away. I called him up just the other day. I said, I'd like to see you if you don't mind. He said, I'd love to, Dad, if I can find the time. You see, my new job's a hassle and the kids have the flu. But it's sure nice talking to you, Dad. It's been sure nice talking to you. And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me, he'd grown up just like me. My boy was just like me. And then the chorus is, the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man in the moon. When you're coming home, son, I don't know when, but we'll get together then, Dad. We're going to have a good time then. This sad song is a reminder and a reinforcement of the value of Ecclesiastes to live our lives before the Lord wisely. 
to prioritize what God prioritizes. And God certainly cares about your work. That's a whole other message we could talk about. But we can sometimes be so driven and so ambitious for things that are uncertain that we miss the certain things. Living life in the Lord. Living life loving those closest to us. Loving our family. Loving those in our church. Loving our neighbors all in the name of our loving God. So let's remember our God and remember his values in our days. As we are young and as we grow old, knowing that these certain things exist in an uncertain world. Finally, the wisdom of God in eternity or the final judgment. The preacher concludes the book and it applies to our passage and it applies to the whole book, of course. And he says, vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. As he looks at these things, he says, things are uncertain. There's uncertainty everywhere. And this is something in this passage, there's this reality, this instability of, of aging. But there's all sorts of things out there, right? We've been through this book for a while, looking at life in, under the sun in this fallen world. There are all sorts of things that are uncertain. And so he starts out the book saying, vanity of vanities. He finishes it now saying, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Now, you've been through Ecclesiastes and you know that this is hyperbole. He's making a statement to make a point to us. And the word vanity means uncertainty or literally vapor, hevel. And so he's saying life is full of this uncertainty and yet he's making a statement that is a certain thing. So we understand, of course, that he doesn't mean this absolutely. Otherwise, there'd be no reason to write the book, right? If everything was unstable, if there was all uncertainty, there's nothing that's certain at all. Why even say anything? You can't even actually say that all is uncertain unless you're certain that all is uncertain. So it's a self-contradictory statement. But it's meant as hyperbole to catch our attention, to see, yeah, this is everywhere. This affects everything. And this helps us, this, this being forced to face this reality, taking a hard and honest look at our fallen world, recognizing that there's a fallenness in it, and yet there's things that are stable and certain. This gives us wisdom, it protects us from dangers on the right and the left. There are dangers if we don't acknowledge this reality. One side, one danger is what's called triumphalism. And there are all sorts of forms. There's Christian triumphalism. There's just secular humanistic triumphalism. It's this whole idea that, that, that we should expect good things to happen. Life is good in every way. And it's not. It's to think that we're always going to realize our dreams. Our dreams will come true. Vote for Pedro and all your dreams will come true. That's triumphalism. That there should be harmony and peace and prosperity in this world. And Ecclesiastes says, no, there won't be. Until he returns. We know from the rest of the story. And so it protects us from triumphalism. And this is not only here in Ecclesiastes. It's throughout the Bible. And Romans 8, as we've been saying throughout this series, is a great place to go because Paul actually references Ecclesiastes. He says this in chapter 8. And I'm so glad we're featuring chapter 8 today already. Chapter 8, verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility. That word is the same word as uncertainty. It's hevel. It's vapor. Subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. 
For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. We live in this world that's subject to futility, and creation itself is groaning to get out of this mode. And when we taste the, the new life that we have in Christ, we ourselves can't wait until it's fulfilled in all of its fullness. This is a reality that this world is fallen. Life under the sun now is uncertain in many ways. Subject to futility. But on the other side, so the danger on one side is triumphalism. The danger on the other side is a godless cynicism. And this might be more prevalent nowadays. I'd say baby boomers and previous generations are more tempted on triumphalism. Millennials and post-millennial post generations are probably more tempted towards cynicism. We're all tempted either way. This godless cynicism that looks at this unstable world and looks at the oppressions in this unstable world, the wrong things, the evils that are out there that are real, and we must acknowledge them. Ecclesiastes is very honest with out there, what's out there, but then does it in a godless way. And so we've been learning, right, as we go through Ecclesiastes, there's a godly way to address the, the wrong things, the injustices that are here. It's, it's a Godward way versus a godless way. There is certainty in this world of uncertainty. There is certainly the certainty of the final judgment, and that is our ultimate hope where he makes all things right. But he is also active. He's the God of righteousness and goodness. He's active now, and he calls us to appropriate response to injustices. So we don't let godless cynicism lead us into a worldview that seeks to tear everything down and deconstruct everything. Because there are still certain things in this world that we should celebrate and live under even as we deal with the things that are wrong. This is part of what he's talking about in verse 12 of chapter 12. My son, beware of anything beyond these, of make, making many books. There is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. What he's regarding here, I believe, is, is when we look at it all without God at the center, and we try to speculate on what to do, and, and there is so much damage done in our world by those who look at the uncertainty and in a godless way try to fix it. And there may be some noble motives in that, but without God we're ultimately going to make it worse. And I would submit to you theories like Marxism and Nietzsche's philosophy are examples of this dangerous thing where he warns us, beware of anything beyond these. Beware of dealing with this unstable world in a godless, cynical way. And you will weary yourself and you'll find no answers, both you individually and you as a culture. And so Ecclesiastes, the preacher, calls us to this godly, appropriate realism that we live in a fallen world. Call it a godly cynicism maybe if you want. Maybe not the best word. It's a, it's a realism. And we live standing on what's certain. Standing on the certain things in an uncertain world. And, and Ecclesiastes tells us that to the end of the matter, all has been heard. Here are the certain things. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring in every deed into judgment, whether every secret thing, whether good or evil. God is the ultimate certainty here. And he calls us to live our lives fearing God. And fearing God is not just 
knowing that he's mighty and, and he's in control and, and I, I should fear his power, but it's also a reverence as, as if a, a loving, adoring child would regard his father in this way, a reverent way, that he's a good father. So fearing God is, is, is focusing on him, respecting him and, and relying on him and going to him and depending on him and enjoying him. All those things are in this word fearing God. It's making God the center of our lives. This is how we live. And if we fear Him and know Him, we're going to love His commandments. His commandments are, are simply the, the outlines of what He is like and what life in Him is like. Love God. With their, the commandments are summed up by love God with your whole being and love each other as yourselves. This is what life's about. These are the certain things, even in this uncertain world, even though we age, even though we can't control the outcome, we can live in this certainty. And if we do this sincerely, it'll... it'll there's a few things that will happen. First off, if we do it in our own strength, it should undo us. This is how God's word works. His law taken by itself, his good commandments taken by themselves, expose our bankruptcy. And so this should lead us to be honest that, you know what, I, I see the logic, I get this, this makes sense, living, how to live in a certain way in an uncertain world, but I can't do it. I can't look at judgment confidently. I, I look at judgment and realize there are things, there are secret things that, that have been in my life that God rightly will deal with and I'll be in trouble. And that's a good thing to recognize that. That's being honest. And that, that is what the scriptures teach us. That, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's not anybody who's made the mark except one. God in his great love knowing our need for something certain to stand on, knowing that we can't stand on our own, took on flesh, lived in this uncertain world, was subject to the evil of this world to the point of being put to death on the cross. And yet, in his righteous life, his life of love, his life of fulfilling all the promises, he fulfilled our righteousness. He was faithful. He did obey. He did hold on in life's uncertainties. He never lost faith. Going through the garden, the agony of the garden, the horror of the crucifixion. The worst that life could throw at anybody. He went through. And in that terrible place, and in the folly of being crucified on the cross, He overcame this fallen world. He bore our sins in His body on the tree. That we might die to sins and live for righteousness. That we might in Him find forgiveness and a new life. He rose again on the third day, victorious over sin and death, victorious over this world. And he now rules and reigns for the sake of his mission, for the sake of his church. And all those who put their faith in him have a certain foundation to stand on. Forgiveness and eternal life in and through Christ. And now there's a, a more to the story, a fulfilling of what the preacher is saying here. What it means to fear God, what it means to keep His commandments, what it means to know about judgment is fulfilled in Christ ultimately because He has been faithful. He feared. And now in forgiveness and in new life, we can also enjoy God, fear Him appropriately, and follow His commandments by His power and await judgment with confidence knowing that all of our sins are paid for. And all the things that we do in this life in line with the Lord by grace will be rewarded. So now there's certainty in life. In this uncertain world. I don't think there's a better place for me to conclude 
this message today and this whole series than going back to Romans 8 because Romans 8 is Paul's application of Ecclesiastes. Romans 8 is Paul's explanation of the certain things we stand on in this uncertain world. And so as he starts out talking about the uncertainty, he starts to talk about the certain things. And I want to leave you with this. and Maybe this is the best place to camp on as you think about this whole series. But we'll take some time afterwards briefly to think of application. But listen to God's word, Romans 8. Again, starting in verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. <coughs> Excuse me. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know <coughs> excuse me, that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknow, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? In this uncertain world, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's word from Romans 8. These are the certain things we stand on in an uncertain world. We can live life to the fullest through all the stages, fearing God, looking to Christ, looking to these certain things, receiving the strength and assurance and hope we need. And when the short life is over, we'll be with Him, we'll be free. When He makes all things new, there'll be no more death, no more sickness, no more tears, no more vanity, but true eternal life. 
Let us live in this fallen, uncertain world with this eternal and certain wisdom. Let's pray.